Hey, welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Josh. And I just cut out all the rest of my (laughs) usual intro. Uh, Today's going to be a bit of a different one. We've got a couple of conversations with uh, some of our friends, Lindsay Jensen, who's been on the podcast before, and as well as Andy and Jules, who've been on the podcast as well, both of whom talked about different housing initiatives that they've been undertaking or overseeing. And um, housing in Portland especially is a massive, massive issue. Yeah. And unless you're under a rock, this is no kind of secret or surprise, but I think from what I understand, it's, it's really, there's a national crisis as well. You know, like housing can, you know, continues to be on the rise and, um, but we're, we're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing the impact huge, you know, here, here in, in Portland. And I, I remember growing up here, especially in North Portland, North Portland was the last affordable place to live in, um, in Portland. And so people would kind of buy up property and houses here. Um, but in the eighties and nineties, I think my parents bought a piece of property in, in the 1980s for $5,000 with a house, um, wow. on it. And today that same house, they've done a lot of work to it, but that same house is, close worth close to a million or half a million dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge swing, you know, just in, that's 30 years. Um, that's a huge swing in that. And of course, property taxes, we've seen that, you know, skyrocket. Um, my neighbor across the street, I, I looked, um, at his value, his property taxes and his property taxes alone is almost nine grand a year. And that is, that's more than my first mortgage was when I lived down in Eugene. Right. Um, like, and this is, this is the world in which we, we live in now. And that, I don't think that's going to change. Property value is not going to take a dive and never, ever we be able to buy or purchase a piece of property for $5,000 in Portland again. Right. Well, and I live in a, uh, in low income housing here. Yeah, it's, it's government subsidized, and it's still by a big margin the most uh, expensive apartment I've rented ever. You yeah. know, we've never lived in expensive apartments, but for uh, considering that this is the cheapest they come, and it's still uh, difficult on us, it says something. You know, right and. Oh, as, as ministry leaders, you know, in our city, there's a couple different things that we can do. I mean, the first is that we can just kind of turn a blind eye to that and just say, oh, well, there's an inevitability there. Um, it's the, let the free market do whatever the free market does. Um, but then there's the other response of more of a social justice response and, that is to say that housing or shelter, let's say shelter, is is a human right. Um, and I know we could get into that, whether that's true or not, but um, but let's just say, let's say it is. You know, if, if it's a basic human right for people to be housed, um, then shouldn't we as God's people, you know, doing something about that right and and let's let's pull back just a minute because i um i don't want us to like crap on other pastors here uh but there's 
there is sort of a mentality often of, well, I won't deal with this because God's put the people in front sure. of me that I'm supposed to care for. And like, I get that, but there's a whole host of other issues that I think Jesus cares about that all stem from housing. Uh, there's a documentary that's been getting traction around that was filmed around here about how um, gentrification has caused communities to become a lot more wealthy, a lot more white and um, uh, people of color or um, people kind of on the margins have been pushed out to the outer parts of, uh, of Portland or beyond. They, they just can't afford to be here and uh, people on a more on the ground level, you and I as pastors know, a good chunk of people who don't have homes who used to have places to live and uh you know homeless people that hang around not always not always because they threw away all their money on drugs right that's i that's the common thought by a lot of people and it's not always the case and there's so many other issues that happen because people don't have a roof over their heads. Right. Uh, yeah. And we, Oh, um, there are, there are people who are passionate about this issue who think that every pastor in every church, you know, needs to kind of be a forerunner needs to do something about that. Um, and while that may or may not be true, I think at the very least, um, I, well, I, I don't think every pastor in every church needs to, you know, have a, a housing project, you know, necessarily right. or, or do something completely, you know, active. God definitely calls us all kind of towards some different specific areas. I think at the very least, we all need to be aware um, of, of the problem. And we can't be an ostrich. We can't, you know, just put our head in the sand and pretend that that there's not a problem right we we should all be cognizant of the issue of the problem of the hurt that it causes people of the of the stress that it causes people and also so that we can uh support so that we can come alongside so that we can understand what god may be doing here and how we might be able to come alongside, even if like it, if someone's the leader of the church and that church is not able or, um, or doesn't have the ability to do a massive housing project, but can, uh, support in some way or just can, um, help to tell other people, here's, here's something that God's doing here. Like that's, Mm-hmm. That's an important uh, message to get out there. And I know you and I, Josh, have been talking a while about our own possibilities at our churches, and we've been talking to our churches and um, about like uh, what we can do and uh, trying to get a vision for that because we've got land, not a lot of land. Right. My church has a lot of land. Um, <laughs> 
your church has a little less, but still a considerable amount and considerably more than most any place in town. Yeah, that's it. When right. you, you, at the increase of property value, you know, over the last 30 years, of course, you know, both of us passed our local churches and, you know, not not large or huge congregations, but the value of our property now has is exponential. It's incredible to think, you know, the millions and millions of dollars, um, you know, that are our property and mostly paid for. Um, and we're, we're sitting on that. What are we doing with that? And, and this was, uh, I guess sometime during this last year, God really impressed on my heart, that parable, um, that Jesus talked about with the master who gave his three servants, you know, different talents. And, um, said, okay, you know, I'm going to go on a way on a trip. You know, the first one he gave, five and three and one. Um, and what are you, uh, I want you to invest this for me, you know, or when I come back, um, and we know how the story goes, you know, he came back and the first one said, you know, here's 10. I, you know, I took the five talents that you gave me and I turned it into 10. And the other one said, Oh, well, you know, I took the three and I turned it into six. And then the last one goes, Oh, here's my one back. You know, I just, I went and buried it because I know how, how much you you care about that and and he said what are you doing why did you do that you know and um the very least you could have put it in a bank and earn interest and i've thought about that so much in in terms of um you know our actual real estate our actual property our building our facility you know like this we we have really been we've i've inherited or we as a church have inherited this this amazing resource and, and property right now in the city property is you can't come by. There's no empty lots anymore, you know? And, and so when you have property, it is, it's an incredible asset and an incredible resource. And then to be challenged to say, are you being a good steward with that? And that's where the discernment comes in. That's where, you know, then kind of working with the congregation is saying, Hey, we are seeing our neighbors being displaced. We are seeing our neighbors getting, you know, asked to, to being moved, um, you know, out, some of them being evicted um, out of their homes. Is there anything that we can do with our property, um, with our facility to, you know, to help address this, this need? Um, and so we're in the process of that currently. Um, we've been talking with some different developers and, and talking with the city. And then just as a congregation, you know, we've been discerning this saying, Hey, what is it that, that God would have us to do, um, you know, to help maybe help meet, you know, some of this need. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think that goes along with what we talk about so often here, which is faithfulness and obedience. Faithfulness is not something that's easy and not something that's yeah, quick. And right. uh, I mean, sometimes it could be, but, uh, but um, I mean, by nature, obedience, obeying is doing something that, you know, you wouldn't normally be inclined to do, but you do it because that's what has been put in front of you. And, um, and, Today we're going to talk with Andy and Jules who are being 
faithful with what they've been yeah. given. Uh, they pastor Portsmouth Union Church, and they have just destroyed a huge chunk of it. Right. <laughs> like if you go if you go over there, a giant uh, wing of it is gone, and the huge bell was taken down. Which if, yeah. if you've ever been in church world, you don't take down stuff like that yeah you don't cut down a steeple and you don't take down a bell even though you never use those things you you don't do it um and but they did and they are going to be putting in a new affordable housing project called portsmouth commons and then we talked to uh after them we're going to be talking with Lindsay jensen as well and Lindsay. Uh, leads St. John's Center for Opportunity, and they have been doing a lot with housing initiatives and trying to get, um, uh, trying to sort of be the backbone for people who want to uh, help with this housing uh, housing issue. You and I have talked with her at times, and um, I feel like she and and Center for Opportunity are the are some of the ones with know-how and resources. Yeah. So if people want to be faithful or obedient with their with what they have, this is a resource and Lindsay is a resource to see it happen and see it done well. So Yeah. Yeah, I I love the conversation. Like it it needs to happen continually. Um when it comes to property Oh, it's so easy to to think like, oh yeah, I this is mine. I'm gonna do it my way. But and there's people out there like Lindsay and Andy and Jules who have done a lot of the groundwork already. And you know, let's come together and let's collaborate. You know, on on these things. So should be great, great conversation with them. Right. So we're gonna talk with uh, Andy and Jules, and then we'll talk with Lindsay. Well, uh, tell us real quick what you're doing with housing because yeah. it's it's really fascinating and I think it's uh, going to become a thing that's happening more rather than less with other churches. I hope, I, my, I mean, our understanding, and I've said this in so many settings because I believe if you say it enough, people will start to pick it up and say it too, but um, I think that the church in Portland can solve our affordable housing crisis single-handedly mm-hmm. and um we we have the people we mm-hmm. have the land those yes. are the two things that matter um we if you can show up with people you can change policy and if you show up with land you can change anything and that's what we really need and so we're i mean for the last four years really almost four years uh our congregation has been in the process of discovering what it takes in order to actually complete an affordable housing construction project. And we have, you know, we started out with zero information and we have over the course of the last three years become near experts in it as lay people, right? <laughs> um, if if people who are not in the industry understand affordable housing, it's we're a part of that group. And so we're going to build about 20 units on our property in the next couple of years. It's always in the next couple of years because I can't commit us to a time couple frame. couple is a good word because that could be one, <laughs> could be six months. Yeah. But we're in the demolition phase right now. We're taking down. This is one of the beautiful parts of this process for me. I, I, I understood what the spirit of our church was in um, late 2014 when we were doing that 
prayer season together as just like 12 of us from University Park. And we have this fellowship hall that was built by a saint of the church, donated the money, constructed it in the 80s. It was a meaningful gift. And we were sitting in that fellowship hall and um, I told them, you know, we have three options. We can stay as we are and try to build around what we have, which is really difficult. We can take part of the church down and be able to house more people or and be able to worship in our current sanctuary, but have less uh, community spaces to use as ourselves. Or we could take the whole church down and build a big, beautiful complex that takes up the entire acre. And I watched these faithful, long-time, sometimes lifetime, long Methodists who are known for loving their space and loving their property and loving this neighborhood and their building say, if what we're being called to do is take it all down to the ground, that's what we're going to do. And I like sat back and was like, wow, that was not an answer I was expecting. Yeah. That'll take your breath away. Yeah. And when they said that it was like, they're ready. They can do this. Wow. They are committed. They have the faith for this. And then we went to our developer and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't take your whole building down. It's bad for equity. And I was like, oh, what a relief. <laughs> like, oh, because they had said the thing that mattered, right? Like the, the commitment was there. I will give everything if it means we can do this. So we're in the midst of that. We're in the midst of demolition of part of our property, a part of our current building uh, so that we can make space for new people in the apartments We'll probably be in that for the next 60 days, reconstructing, getting the roof redone, like all the stuff that comes along with demolition. And then we're going to be in the process and have been in the process of permitting for construction, having the right conversations at the city level. We've started those conversations to make sure that we can do this well, navigate and negotiate with all of the regulations that are in place. We've been in the process for more than three years now, and it feeling long and it also feels like every time we think we've arrived at a step that is an accomplishment we discover there are a bunch of steps beyond and all of those things are opportunities for us to take notes do it try it see if we could do it better the next time and then take that to another church and say hey here's what we've learned here's how you don't have to make the same mistakes we've made Here's how you can do this faster or more effectively or more beautifully, you know, whatever. Here's the relationships we've built so you don't have to spend a bunch of time building them. We have them for you so that we can start to replicate things. We have, um, there's about six churches actively waiting to see what we're doing at Portsmouth Union around the housing project, who when we finally shovels in the ground, it's happening. We're in, construction is occurring. People are going to be in the apartments. They will say, okay, now I see how it's possible and they'll raise their hands and be able to do it too. Uh, so I do think that we're on to something. I ju- we just, it's the work. It's yeah. the work of it. And so much of this, I don't think I was ready for this when we started the project, but so much of it is learning trust and learning patience. I mean, those are virtues and um, we aren't good at them often, which is why they're probably on the list of virtues. And this kind of work shows like, Patience matters. Trust matters. You have to trust God. This Things go wrong all the time. Things fall through the cracks all the time. We have no idea what we're doing on a regular basis. And, and yet, here we are. Somehow, we have gotten to a place where we're actually doing this. 
And it's because God is at work in the process. Mm -hmm. And so if only, I always say like, even if we never get to actually have people in those apartments, even if we never actually build them, it will have been worth absolutely every crying session, every moment of being upset or sad or disappointed or angry because it will have taught us what it means to really work for something meaningful and to have patience and trust in the process. It's been a huge spiritual growth opportunity for our congregation. And I would also add if, uh, if other people are watching you and even if this all went to crap and just completely yeah. failed, if other people are watching you and are like, okay, but we could do that. Then I think you've, uh, yes, God's done something there. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think that's in your future and I hope that's not in your future, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, but were it, it would be okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. not many, if any churches have undertaken something in this space before in Portland and especially small congregations with no huge resources. It's not like we have a pool of money sitting somewhere waiting for us to pay for this. We had to do every bit of the work. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, that's where our faith in Jesus falls short. So often is we're like, well, we don't have the resources. We can't try instead of let's try and see where Jesus shows up. Right. Yeah. It's well, (laughs) the same thing with people like, you can't put two churches together like that. That's not going to work. Yeah, that was you me. different polities, right? I, like, I said that, right? Like, <laughs> like we would say, well, what if we do our best? And I mean, we're still in the process in a lot of ways and figuring that out. But, yeah. but I think that another part of of the, the beauty of our story is. Because we've seen what God has done in the life of what we we call our church, you know, a a new church with a rich historical tradition, right? (laughs) That we, what we've seen God do with Portsmouth Union Church, we've seen God's faithfulness. So we can say, look, we did that. Why not? Of course. Why couldn't we we do this thing? We can do this thing too, right? And and yes, there are always... they're always going to be people who are anxious about it and asking questions. And that's where being the body of Christ for one another comes in too. Yes, pastorally, we have to do some of that work and be like, hey, remember, hey, remember, remember this, remember how we've been brought together, remember the story, remember the story. But to watch other people in our community, other people in our church doing that and saying, hey, I know, I know, we don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how bathrooms are going to work during the the deconstruction process. They're probably, they're going to look different. I know that, but, but you know what? I think we're going to have bathrooms. God is good. Right. To watch that has been like, yeah, the, well, the best got, moments. Like, you got you got some stores across from you. Just, <laughs> well, it, you well, know what's really beautiful is in those moments where people will say things like the bathrooms is a, an ongoing conversation, but a real one. And, um, you know, people will say like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Nail biting and pearl clutching and hand waving. And then somebody will look up and be like, yeah, I, am un- I imagine that it's really hard to understand what it's like to not ever have access to a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if what if this is an opportunity for us to learn what our homeless neighbors 
experience on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. And you're just like, yeah. oh, you Jesus. If that oh, doesn't shut yay. everything down. <laughs> Whoa, you just turned the bathroom conversation so around. <laughs> Amazing. And when they do that on their own and they're just like, they're just in it and they're yeah. really wise about it. They're wiser than either of us is wise about mm-hmm. it. And you just watch it happen and you think, ah, you know what? God's at work somehow yeah. here in ways yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's just fine. It's going to be okay. Man, that is the mic droppiest of mic drops <laughs> yeah, I've, good. Good stuff. I've heard in a long time. We're here with Lindsay Jensen from St. John's Center for Opportunity. And uh, we've been talking, uh, you and I and Josh, for some time about the housing needs in Portland. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit today about hmm. some of the the thoughts and plans and things that you've been doing and Center for Opportunity have been doing to address the housing crisis here in Portland. Um, so I guess, first of all, I actually met you, I think, at a housing meeting. We were, there was there was a thing at George Middle School. Yeah. And, uh, and I was signing in and you like barreled up to me and were like, David Libby, I've been trying to meet you. <laughs> um, uh, but that was that was kind of one of the big first events that I know about where you were like, okay, we've got this situation here and we need to address it. Like people are being run out or losing their homes. Everything seems screwed. What do we do here? <laughs> you know that. Right. Um, yeah. All the things. So I would say, um, just to kind of rewind for a second, um, you know, so St. John's Center for Opportunity used to be St. John's Main Street. Um, And when I started, we went through a whole strategic planning process to really understand sort of our impact and what we were you know, what we were accomplishing in the community. And as a part of that, we did a lot of like community visioning and listening sessions. And the thing that, you know, we continued to hear from neighbors was that housing was a real issue in this community and something that people um, really wanted to see addressed because they'd experienced neighbors being displaced Mm -hmm. either, or maybe themselves, they had experienced displacement. Um, And I think that's when we, you know, just really understood how important it was for our organization to be thinking and, and moving and doing stuff around housing. Um, so in 2000, oh gosh, my years are all blurring together. So in 2017, we had an opportunity to work with a team from Portland state's masters and urban planning program. Um, and so we had six students working with us to help craft what's called the St. John's housing action plan, which one of the meetings that you came to David was, uh, a part of that building mm-hmm. that plan. Um, so, you know, I mean, I am really excited about what the plan says and, you know, it is really overwhelming what the need is in our community right now. And, you know, St. John's is one of the last neighborhoods to experience the level of displacement that other um, inner kind of North or inner Portland neighborhoods have experienced. Um, But we are certainly experiencing it. Um, And there's a lot of pressure on our neighborhood right now with increased housing prices, um, you know, new folks moving into the neighborhood. Uh, It's just, there's, Mm. there's a lot happening in the housing market. Um, and so there's there's just a lot of need to start moving on on housing work in in the neighborhood. Hmm. There's a lot of things, and like I think of St. John's, and I think maybe 
maybe right now the the chasm is is growing and it's it's larger than maybe in other places i I think of other areas of of portland you know that have definitely seen some gentrification but kind of being a native st john's or north portlander um like we north portland was always the poor place of of portland and so we were always on the low side of of things whereas the in the other communities um you know as housing prices have have gone up that chasm hasn't been quite as large whereas now in north portland um you see, like you see such this this huge distance um between what's what's now housing is is you know at market rate you know comparable to the rest of the city but you still have you know people who kind of grew up in in poverty living in in north portland area um so me i don't know, it, it just it feels like north portland needs more than the rest of the city does maybe you know or i Maybe that's just kind of my own perception and I'm a little biased. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a huge, huge need. There is. And I would say, I mean, East Portland likewise has a lot of need yeah. and has had similar experiences. The challenge that I found is, I mean, I would I would push back a little bit and say, I think, you know, inner North Portland has experienced extreme growth and displacement. Um, you know, a, a, there's a lot of conversation around I mean, the the black community was completely displaced yeah. from, you know, the Albina, Alberta yeah. area. Right. And I would say they've experienced it in a much more tragic, right. extreme way than we actually have out on the peninsula. Um, and again, because those neighborhoods are closer to the inner city and where sure. that's where most of the development initially happened in Portland. Um, you know, I think the challenge for North Portland is that the peninsula gets lumped in with a lot of the inner North Portland dialogue or story. And because we're different and we have different demographics and different experiences, um, and still, frankly, um, we've had fairly, I say fairly limited development happen in our neighborhood. Um, you know, we, we just have had a lot of resources pulled from our community and a lot more investment in East Portland happening. Um, and I don't want to take away from that because I think the need in East Portland is huge. However, you know, my experience again is that is the peninsula is getting a little screwed (laughs) that we're not, um, you know, getting the same level of attention or resources that other areas are. And we are experiencing those pressures now, but yet we're still, there's still a number of low income, you know, neighbors who live here, a number of, of neighbors of color who are in our neighborhood. Um, and they're the most vulnerable right now to being displaced. And so, um, you know, I have a lot of concern about kind of the lack of, we don't have the same, voice that East Portland has, um, especially at a political, you know, from a mm-hmm. political lens. Um, and that's something I'm hoping we can help shift. How, how does that shift? Yeah, for me, it's a lot of it's rooted in coalition building. Um, I would say the one thing that East Portland is really strong in is they have um, a couple of strong drivers who are coalescing all of the nonprofits and neighborhood groups out in those areas. Um, I mean, like literally East Portland Action Plan gives people advocacy packets that they can then take Mm -hmm. to city council um, when there's a particular issue on the table or to go meet with a a bureau when there's funding conversations. Um, And we just don't have that same level of organization in North Portland right now. Hmm. 
Do you think? Uh, do you think it's like a population thing? Are we? I mean, North Portland. If you like North Portland proper, I think if my math is right, we're somewhere in the population of like eighty thousand people. You know, or just just under a hundred thousand, which is a, a big population. But there are a lot of neighborhoods there. You know, like and um, and the neighborhoods don't necessarily all talk or. Or agree. I mean, there's a lot of independence with each of the neighborhoods. Um, so, would you say that is that one of the issues, one of our hurdles, um, or is is really is our population? Is that why kind of Portland proper doesn't give us the time of day or as um, as much love or resources? Yeah. So, I would say a couple things. I mean, I. Again, I mean, I think not. I, th- I think the story in all of North Portland is different. I sort of tend to lean more to more towards talking about the peninsula in North Portland because I think the need is uh, deeper and and greater in that sort of area of North Portland. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that there's a lot of dialogue happening. Um, between groups in North Portland right now. I think that actually that has really shifted in St. John's and Cathedral Park um, because of St. John's Center for Opportunities leadership and bringing people together and facilitating those conversations. But even if you go next door to like Portsmouth or University Park, Mm -hmm. my experience is that those nonprofits and, you know, groups doing the on the ground work are not talking to each other. Um, And so I've been really interested in what role our organization can play in doing more coalition building across the peninsula. Um, Again, you know, focusing on that area because I think the needs are a little bit different than inner North Portland. Yeah. Right. That's interesting. I, you always hear in church work and I don't know why I didn't assume it was the same in nonprofit work, but you hear in church work that people will say, well, we're doing our own thing. Um, you know, instead of working with other churches to do greater things. Um, but when you see those greater things happen, you're like, ain't no way any one of us could have done that. Um, and it sounds like it's the same way mm. here. We like to get a voice politically in order to help the um, like crisis that we have here. There needs to be more work together. And more um, co co. What did you co- cohesion coalition? We need to do you, more coalition building. Verb. Yeah. What was the verb that you used? Coaling. Coalescing. Coalescing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a podcast of one syllable words. <laughs> Help. <laughs> we make up words too. <laughs> we do. We do. It's totally cool, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we need to have more coalitioning. Yes, I like but, it. Coalition building. But yeah, that's, I mean, uh, I like if if University Park's always doing their own thing and Portsmouth's always doing their own thing and Kenton's always doing their own thing and St. John's is always doing their own thing, we're only going to get so far, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, and even within that, right, like times that by 20 of like each of the groups within those neighborhoods that are doing their, their own right. thing, right? Um, right. And so for me that I feel like in St. John's, we've had a few success stories where we've been able to kind of come together and really um, 
get some wins. I mean, I think one of them, for example, is the partnership we've had with the St. John's Joshua church, the Wesleyan church, you know, with us coming together to, um, you know, fight for a zoning change here at the church so that we could do an affordable housing project. Um, and I think that, you know, that was something that really stood out to me when we were listening, um, at the council vote for that specific zoning change, you know, how they, they mentioned like how cool it was to have these different partners at the table, um, advocating. And so for me, it's like, how do we now take those few examples and amplify that? And, and I really, um, I, I feel like we're kind of positioning ourselves to play a stronger leadership Mm. role around that. Um, been talking a lot with the North Portland neighborhood services. And um, I think there's some cool things on the horizon. But for me, that's been a core piece missing in this conversation of just like, how do we amplify our voice and, and, you know, spotlight the need that still exists on the peninsula and in North Portland, um, you know, because it, it, it's there. And yes, maybe it's a slightly smaller scale than in East Portland, but East Portland is freaking huge. Right. And right. there's, um, there's, yeah, there's a lot going on out there. But, um, for me, I feel like there could actually be more resource investment made in North Portland if we shifted the narrative. And even if we got a little bit crisper about, um, delineating sort of the pockets in North Portland that, still really need that support. I do think so the, the, that partnership, I do think it's important for us, I guess to, to realize we're not, uh, for for us to not to expect, you know, our, our council members just to like throw us a, a, a a nice bone or something, you know, like it, it actually requires us coming together. And so, you know, the faith community, the business organizations, the, the neighborhood associations and the local nonprofits and, and then just neighbors, you know, coming together to say, Hey, we want this. And with that zoning change that Lindsay, that you just mentioned, the council members, they noticed that. And so they're like, Oh wow, they're, they're actually working. They're, they're doing something, you know, locally, let's help them. Let's empower them as we can. Um, and I think that's where we that's where we see real change, you know, when when we're able to relate with one another for what we we need. Right. Right. I think uh, we, we talked last time you were on about how uh, the there's this weird thing where churches often don't partner with either nonprofits or with uh, with other community members. And I think partially it's due to fear on the side of churches uh thinking oh we're gonna sell out or lose the gospel or lose our witness or something like that because we're working with other people i Mm. i don't know and and uh and i think this is a good example and a good way to say no man like if if we all see a need and especially if we think uh God wants something different from the chaos that we see. Yeah, we need we need everyone focused on the same thing. We all need to be working together and there's there's no selling out, there's no losing any kind of witness there. There's just um people building relationships and working together with one another. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's a win all around and I think we saw that with you guys recently and that was yeah. great. 
Um, let's real quick talk about some specifics. So um, what is, Lindsay, maybe you, you know some of these numbers. What is the average price or average cost of rent um, in maybe in Portland in general? Or this will be North out Portland? of date by the time <laughs> it comes out, I'm sure. <laughs> um, gosh, I honestly, I don't know if I remember off the top of my head, but I, you know, I mean, it's in St. John's, it's shifted now. I mean, it's like a couple dollars like we're just a couple dollars under the average rental price um, for the city now, whereas that used to be, you know, much very different. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing now in the neighborhood rental prices that you'd find in other parts of Portland. Um, and that's, I think, been really shocking for neighbors. I think the so a number that comes to mind my, that I know, I know, or I've seen recently is $1,800 a month. Does that, some, I mean, it's something around there that. For, well, the new studios are well, like eleven or twelve. Yeah, for and then, little tiny studios. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then median family income. Um, so median family income in St. John's is still, you know, really under the city average. So I think our median family income is around 46000 a year for a family of four, whereas the rest of Portland, it's closer to, you know, 60000 Um And our rent prices are still the same. And right. So, yeah. Exactly. So there's a huge discrepancy. And, you know, St. John's, if you look at the Portland Housing Bureau puts out a state of housing report every single year and St. John's is like ranked in the top five consistently over the last couple of years of neighborhoods with the fastest growing yeah. housing prices. Um, and so, you know, I think our average home sale price is like 350 or something along those lines now, um, which is very different again, from a few years ago. Um, the need, the, um, the need is, seems to be ever growing. Recently had a meeting with Northwest pilot project, which, you know, Lindsay and I, we have not debriefed on that one yet. Um, but they, they, um, partner or care for seniors. I think it's you know, 55 and over, um, and around lots of needs, but specifically one of the big areas is, is housing. And they said they have a huge, huge need for, um, for housing in the area of like three to $500 a month for some of these seniors, you know, for just a studio apartment. And we're talking about seniors on fixed incomes, you know, that if they're getting a thousand dollars a month, that's, quite quite a bit i've talked with some who get you know seven or eight hundred dollars a month and that's it and how how can you live if your studio apartment is renting for 1200 um you know and so for most many of these seniors more than half of their income is going you know towards housing um and so there's this growing need and i asked them i said okay so if we provide if we can you know come up with you know, some units to be able to provide, you know, for seniors at that three to $500 range, you know, like how many can you fill? And he said, like unlimited, like the, the, the need, I think he said what 16,000, um, people applied for section eight this last time that it opened yeah. up it was a Whoa. 10 day window yeah. and 16,000 new people applied for section eight housing. Um, and so it's just, it, it, how it, it feels like you know how do you eat an elephant you know like right. where do you where do you start the need is just astronomical and it's growing we we just had someone from the church apply for section eight and you could tell was kind of expecting like got approved and was expecting okay there's a 
there's an apartment in my future. And I, mm. I kept telling him like, this is the time to hustle like crazy. Cause mm. maybe not, I didn't even know those numbers at the time. I just knew it was like a fight to the death. Yeah. Um, that's bad terms to put it in, but it probably feels like it. Yeah. It's like the yeah. hunger games housing, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it it is constantly overwhelming, right? The need, and I find myself getting bogged down in that at times. Um, yeah. And honestly, I have community members who come up to me and will say, like, "Well, what are you guys doing right now to address X, Y, and Z?" You know, and and the the kind of crappy answer, right, is like, "There's not a whole lot I can do right now because it's the, the it's just such a complicated." thing right and and with housing because there is such you know long waiting list or something you know to develop an affordable housing building minimum takes three years right like these things just take time um and it's it's important to remember that um and i have to constantly remind myself of that but it, it can definitely um feel really overwhelming well yeah that first newspaper article with jules at portsmouth union came out it was at least two years ago right if if not more, and they're just now breaking ground. Right. So, hmm. what I uh, what I would love to see is some kind of a a grassroots movement where it's more community centric or neighborhood centric, relational centric, where we care for each for each other. You know, and like we can like we can put we can you know come up with a, an affordable housing unit or kind of neighborhood of like twenty to thirty units, and and that's that's great, but. What if something caught where we're all like, hey, we can we can share our house or I can kind of build a mm. studio apartment in my backyard, you know, and rent it, you know, to, you know, Mrs. Dottie or whatnot, you know, for three hundred dollars a month. And like we, we can just uh, exponentially, you know, in, increase the. Oh, the reach. And I think of I think of people David Brewer who we we had yep. on a little while ago. He sold his house for thirty thousand dollars less than he could have because he didn't want to add to the problem. And I think of my parents. My parents have a number of rental units, you know, in Saint John's where they rent way below market value, um, simply because they don't have to and they, they don't have to get rich and make money on that, you know. And so can we as kind of the the goodness of humanity can we come together as a neighborhood and say hey let's do this together you know like i can i inherited a house you know from you know my grandma who died and instead of selling it maybe i can you know i don't owe anything on it you know i can put a little money into it to you know to to fix it up a little bit and then rent it for you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. You know, to help a, a family who's in our community. You know, our our neighbors and right. yeah. Um, I I really yeah no I love that and I actually think that there's some interesting conversations happening at the county level that sort of speak to that idea right of you know there was yeah. the whole movement around ADUs of hey we'll actually help pay for an ADU in your yard if you know if you keep your rent at a certain rate right. I mean for a certain amount of time. Right. And so I think there's some cool things to explore, you know, explore even further around how you could actually practically implement that at a larger scale. Um, something that I'm finding really complex, right. In that, in that conversation is, you know, how do you, how do you 
take care of yourself and have boundaries and, um, you know, give yourself that space you need, especially when you're working with really vulnerable populations who may have different, um, be experiencing different mental health issues. Um, so it's like, yes, I'm all for that. That's maybe a little bit of a separate conversation of just like people who are doing this work, you know, and wanting to open up my, you know, home or extra room that I have to folks. But like, how do you also, um, recognize that there's a lot of complexities with that too. Yeah. And, and it's different people with different seasons as well. Like I I think of Keith Green, you know, they're kind of a Christian singer back in the eighties and nineties, um, who had, he just opened his house up, you know, to anybody and everybody and got ripped off a ton, but he didn't really have a, a, a family of his own, you know, at the time it was just kind of, I think he and his wife and, um, and there's, uh, it's just different seasons, you know? Yeah. And I think of, you know, like my parents, um, you know, are empty nested. You're able to do a lot more, um, yeah, for for sure. I think real estate though, real estate is it's a it's it's an investment for people and there's so many people who get wealthy and rich off of off of real estate. And so I think that that may be kind of one of the oh one of the the, the what did you say, the hot things? Hot uh, hot take. Uh, the hot take, yeah. yeah. You know, my my hot take um is just is there a way to again like the kind of relying on the goodness of people to say like we're really getting rich off of other people's misfortune you know and and passing that on like oh i can mm. sell my house for a hundred thousand dollar gain i'm gonna pocket that but then i'm putting that on to somebody else who's got to carry that you know and uh and eat it um so yeah, we're getting rich off of other people yeah. and we don't even kind of realize Hashtag it. Capitalism. Yeah. Um yeah, I know that America at its best. This has been guilt the podcast. Oh. <laughs> right. I, I've long said that the most powerful people in this community are property owners. Yeah. Um, and I see that at both the commercial level and at the residential level. Um, and I think there's something to explore there, you know, of like, how do you spotlight, um, folks that are doing cool things like, yeah. you know, David Brewer or your parents, you know, how do yeah. you, how do you amplify that voice and actually seed that idea in other people's minds of like, actually, you know, if you are a property owner, there are things you can do, right. um, to shift that dialogue. Um, yeah. Well, and I know you've pointed out often, and uh, Abby Schwab from Free Hot Soup has said also, I, I didn't get permission to say her name on this podcast, but she she said also uh, that the church community in the, in the area is the most obviously equipped to uh, help work on this problem because the land's already there. Um, just saying that because we have a lot of listeners who have churches in the area but it's you know if if you're saying property owners are the uh, most powerful here Hmm. there's there's property to be had Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are many, many churches in this neighborhood who own lots of property that could be used for really amazing um, things. And I, I definitely think that is a challenge to, to put out to the church mm-hmm. community. Um, 
you know, and I think there's some cool movements happening. There are churches who are setting that example. Um, But yeah. It's a big ask, but it's also um, pretty in line, I think, with uh, the, the kind of work that God would be proud of or excited about in this area loving people god would be proud of loving people what are you talking about i think so i think so that's a very cold take (laughs) it's it's a very neutral take um well thank you so much for coming on uh is there i mean we don't we don't have a lot of time we're getting a few people in on this podcast but um but man there's there's so much to talk about with this housing issue and we might have to do uh, a part two <laughs> a couple more podcasts here because um there's there's a lot of need but the hope that i have and the joy that i have is there's a lot of people doing really great work and really great um mm. uh, prep work to meet this need and i think you're one of those people mm. so uh thank you for that yeah, thanks, thanks. So we hope you appreciated those conversations. We want to do another episode on housing in time. I, I hope y- you want to because I just pitched it. I, I don't think we've actually talked about this. Well, it's a, it's a um, conversation that's continuing. It's a conversation know, so. that's continuing. And the thing is, a lot of people around here are having conversations about housing. We know uh, we'll probably talk with Karen Woods in time, and she's yeah. done uh, housing with Habitat for Humanity. Yeah. So uh, we want to continue talking about these things and what housing initiatives can look like uh because here in portland it's a it's a huge deal uh they say they just recently said in 31 counties minimum wage workers can't afford a one-bedroom apartment so and and churches churches are property rich and churches are property rich yeah And and so whether it's whether it's here or Seattle or San Diego or San Antonio or, or maybe LA even or, the Midwest, um, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Atlanta, New York, like all all kinds of cities are running into serious housing issues, and um, I feel like this is the moment where the church needs to start asking questions, like, okay. Uh, we're in this place. We're here at this time. Um, pastors have come before us and done uh, what they've been faithful at their time with what they had, but maybe it's time to uh, shake things up a little bit and change what we um, the the kinds of things we do as a church. And um, in terms of housing, I I think the church may have a big mission ahead of itself. Mm. Yeah. So this has been the Unsuccess Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm David. And we will see you next time. (laughs) 